Now, we do have special guests this morning. Somebody stole my sheet, but it's Larry, Jerome, and Chris. And I was told by Larry, remember Jerome by the friendly giant and the little giraffe. That was Jerome. And Jerome is tall like a little giraffe, but he's very handsome. And uh, yeah, so I love his haircut. It's so neat. Anyways, uh, we welcome you to Chalmers. We're anxious to hear your messages. And uh, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, just uh, be with these three guys as they come up and give their testimonies and they will be an inspiration to us, God. I know they will. And I thank you for their journey up here. And yeah, Lord, so be with them. Take all nerves from them. And uh, just let them enjoy Chalmers Church as we will enjoy them, Father. Thank you. Amen. Oh, thank you so, so much. So good to be back again. It's been a couple of years since I was here the last time. I don't know if people remember me, but I had just graduated the program in 2017, so I, uh, I still hold that record. I'm still the oldest graduate that uh, Teen Challenge has ever had. But we do have one fellow who is like six months older than me, but he's got to make it through the program. He only came in about two or three weeks ago. But once again, I want to thank you. Thank you so, so much for blessing our ministry, for being there for us all the time. It is so, so appreciated. When I first came here two years ago, I had no idea that you sponsor students from the program. And I went downstairs and I walked by that bulletin board and I saw my picture up there and I went, oh my gosh, right? I was uh, deeply, deeply touched by that. And so um, thank you for having us back again. So I've got um, the two gentlemen that we talked about. Today, I'm just going to kind of go through some PowerPoint overheads, kind of tell you about some of the stuff that's been happening at Teen Challenge and the changes that are going on. There's the gentleman's pictures up there. Um, I've got a couple of short video clips. Um, I think everybody here knows that uh, addiction uh, does not discriminate by age or by sex or by creed. It does not dis discriminate. So I'm going to show you a picture, uh, a video clip of uh, a young woman. Uh, her name's Tracy. Long story short, um, Tracy came through our program. She's from Newfoundland originally and was um, in a, just in a terrible situation in her life. Uh, she was 38 years old, deeply, deeply into addiction. She had actually started her, uh, her addictions uh, when she was eight years old, uh, was when she had her first drink and had a massive heart attack at the age of 38, was in hospital. When you saw those pills that fell on the floor, that was medication that she was crushing up on the floor to uh, sniff through her nose. I mean, she, it was in such deep addiction. Anyways, what, what had happened is um, once she got out of the hospital, she realized that she had to make a very serious life change and came to Teen Challenge. And um, she got through the program. Uh, you know, uh, It's a 12-month program. She got through the program. She did an additional internship and then was hired on full-time. So as I go through, I'll tell you about the locations at Teen Challenge. These are the locations we currently have in, in, um, in Canada right now. So we have the Women's Centre, which is up in Aurora, the Markham Stouffville area. So that's where Tracy was, uh, was at. Uh, we have two men's centres in Ontario, one in Sault Ste. Marie, and then the London Centre, which is where we're from. 
If we kind of go down east, um, we've got a center in Memorancook, a little bit outside of uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. That handles the whole east coast, so New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and uh, Prince Edward Island. We go west, we've got a, a facility for men in Alberta, um, just a little bit um, south of uh, Calgary. Right now, that's under expansion, that's being doubled in size. It was a 12-bed facility. We will be probably about 24 beds uh, over the next year. Uh, we have a men's center in Saskatoon and in Saskatchewan. We have a women's center that just opened in uh, Saskatchewan. That's a 25-bed facility for women. Tracy, as I said, did that one-year or six-month internship, got hired on full-time. She is now the director of the Newfoundland Women's Center. We just opened about four months ago. So it kind of shows you what, when you have God in your life, nothing's impossible. Uh, and, and she's just, just a story that, you know, I still always, always, always talk about. So that's where we stand right now. Uh, we're opening up a men's center in Ottawa. It's about 20 minutes from Ottawa and Renfrew. So we're trying to meet this global crisis that uh, we're in with this addiction, uh, the opioid crisis that we're in, and uh, we're doing the best we can. We wish we didn't have to grow, but we're trying to meet the needs. This is Nick, and Nick, I had, we, we did a short video clip. Nick was the, just graduated last year. He did a year, um, uh, and he just wanted to say thank you to you. Nick was replaced by Dave. And now Dave uh, did a short testify, which unfortunately we didn't have the, the video, uh, the, the audio for. But here Dave is basically telling you a little bit about his life story, his background, and how grateful he is to be at Teen Challenge, and how grateful we are as students, as addicts, to have people like you that still believe in us and support us. And um, so that's basically what Dave was saying. I believe I'm going to have the first gentleman come up and speak. This would be Jerome. Well, it's certainly a warm welcome uh, from Bonnie there. It's very uh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, as you can see, there's me. Uh, that was five months ago. I'm born in Chilliwack, B.C., uh, but I come from Calgary, Alberta. Go Flames, just so you're into hockey. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught uh, the proper respect and morals of, you know, everyday Christian life. I had an older brother who was with me in school the whole time, but he was, he was two years ahead of me. So after spending all our lives in Christian school, he graduated and I was ending grade 10. And I asked my parents, well, can I go to a big, big public school? I want to have lots of friends. I want to get out in society and stuff like that. So they, they agreed to let me go. And then as soon as I got there, it was like mass culture shock. I'm this Christian kid in a school of like, there's 800 from 10 to 12. And they're talking about things I, I'd never heard of, like, or doing things that sounded nuts to me, but everybody was, you know, into that. So... I just felt really uncomfortable and I started to like, question my identity and who I was and where did I fit. You know, you want to fit in, you want to be popular in schools that size, you want to be known. But I was just this little Christian kid coming in and these guys were all doing crazy things, I'm sure you've all heard. And uh, so about seven months, six months into my grade 11 year, I decided I was going to give up Christianity. I thought, you know what, this is, I hate how I feel at school. This is uncomfortable. No one likes me. People think Jesus is crazy. So I'm going to give this up. 
And so I abandoned who I was. I began to fake who I was. I wanted to go out with the boys. I wanted to, to drink and party. So I started lying to my parents about what I was doing. I was like, oh, I've, I'm going to go for a sleepover with this friend from youth group or church. But actually, I was, I was going out with guys from school, drinking, uh, smoking dope, and just going absolutely wild and finding some random place to sleep at night, wherever, just because you're all messed up. And that went on for a while. Eventually, they caught me, but that didn't stop me. I just Now that just made a, a separated us more. And so by the end of my grade 12 year, I was a mess. I was drinking in class. I would have uh, like Bailey's or uh, Kahlua in my coffee cup. At, in class, people think it's coffee. No, I was actually I was getting drunk in school. And every break, I'd be going out to the parking lot and smoking marijuana and just getting absolutely lost. So I ended up never completing high school. I didn't get my diploma because I was always not there, so to speak. And then, so, after high school ended, I was, I was disappointed, like, oh, man, I never got my diploma. My family's disappointed in me. So I, I, I kind of took that to heart, and I was like, you know, I'm going to get my life together. And I'm a, I'm a man, I'm 18 years old, I can get a job, well, yada, yada, yada. So then, about a month into the summer after school, my best friend calls me and says, hey, man, I need some help. And... Uh, you know, I'm just in this, I'm in a bad place. Can you come move me out? And he was living in this house where there was a bunch of guys who worked on oil rigs who had lots of money doing all kinds of bad things. who were like crystal meth, crack cocaine, you name it. All these really intense, heavy drugs. And he was begging me to get him out of there. So I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to help you. Obviously, I don't want you living like this. So I moved him into my parents' place and turns out the whole time he was actually doing cocaine himself and he had manipulated me to get a cheap place to stay so he could barrel on with his expensive habit and so after a while I caught him and I was like what are you doing but he's like you know what don't look at me and judge me until you try it you know it's the best thing ever and you remember those good old days in high school let's let's have at her I'm like okay so I gave in and now within a week of that I became hooked on cocaine I was snorting cocaine on a daily basis. But a month later, both of our parents intervened and caught us, and they said, okay, that's it. And they pulled us apart. They moved him out. But I had met all his friends. I knew everyone I needed to know if I wanted to do my own thing. And so I exercised that, and I, I kept going. I was using cocaine a lot. Another couple months went by, and they, my parents said, okay, well, you know what? This is, this is where we draw the line. You're 19 now. You're going to either obey the rules of the house or get out. Good old Dutch father, you know. <laughs> Hit the road, right? So, uh, I, uh, yeah. So I decided to move out because I wanted to do my own thing. You know, I didn't want to be told what to do. And I, uh, I ended up now not, not worrying about being caught or their approval. I, I moved out and I began to use probably $200 a day of cocaine and I, I had a good job so I could afford that but then eventually it, it became not enough because you're so addicted, right? You need, you need it all the time. From the moment you wake up throughout the day at work until the moment you go to sleep, you're, you're on it all the time, 24-7. And uh, I, so I began to sell drugs as well, you know, to... Uh, support my habit so then I escalated to $350 a day of cocaine use not including drinking or whatever I was doing 
and uh, I lost 50 pounds in about two months. I, I dropped, I looked like skin and bone. It was just absolute skinniness. It was really bad. And I was like, you know what? After a couple months of that, my parents, they intervened again. They, just, they, like, they came back for me, said, okay, you know what? I'll, uh, we'll help you out, but I didn't stop me. I actually ended up moving to Vancouver and I got clean for nine months. I started my own business as a flooring contractor and I did very well. I was successful at a clean, clean life. I got all my weight back, but then now I have all this money that I had never had before. And I was around the, those people who had lots of money and all of a sudden there one or two guys come up and there it is again. There's that cocaine. And you think, well, I got my life together now. I can handle this. You know, I'm in control, but that's a lie. So down the rabbit hole, I go again. I relapse. And whenever someone relapses after their first stint, it is seven times harder to get out of what the previous time to get off drugs was. And so now this went on for a couple of years. Now I'm 22, and I'm still battling in my mind of abandoned Christianity. Like I'm using, I'm drinking all the time, probably every day, uh, smoking weed twice, three times a week, but cocaine was every day. As long as I didn't care, as long as I made my rent and I had enough food in the fridge, every dime I had went to this habit. Every single dime I had. No one else mattered. If someone asked for help, I wouldn't give it to them. That way I could help myself. So after people seeing this, uh, you know, I'm not a person anyone wants to be around. So I I started to find, try to search for ways to help me get over. I didn't want to go to the Lord for help because I didn't believe it anymore. I wanted something of this world to help me. So I ended up actually meeting a woman who had a kid and I got into a, a serious relationship with her and I used that as my escape to stop doing drugs. Like I become that family man, a step into a stepdad role and help raise a, a kid who did not have a father. But eventually, you know, throughout the relationship, I, I would hide that I was using here and there. I, I was far less, but that didn't matter. I was manipulating them, using them as my escape. And after a year and six months of this, the relationship ended. I was using money that was meant to support us on my habit and Obviously, that's just, that's not going to fly. That's, but that's who I was. I would rather have served myself than the people I say I loved, you know. And um, so now I'm, I'm, I moved back home after a while. Like, parents are good and faithful. I'm 24 now. And they say, you know what? We'll let you move in with us on one condition, that you get right with God. I'm like, well, I'm at rock bottom. I'm st- borderline suicidal because I've abandoned, I've manipulated everyone I've ever cared about. Nobody wants to see or talk to me because they know, oh, this guy's a drug addict. This guy's just going to steal. You'll always ask him for money. We don't want this guy around. Right? So I decided to agree. And in January of 2019, I accepted the Lord back into my heart. And, but it didn't stop me from going to my drug of choice, which was cocaine. I still kept using once every couple of weeks except this time i'm feeling something inside i'm like that voice telling you you can't be doing this no 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 you know better but now and now i'm fighting that something that you're you're called to do and now that makes you feel miserable inside you feel defeated and then that starts to have a snowball effect so as five months go by i'm doing this i'm still lying they knew the whole time because they had known me for years but they didn't 
they didn't kick me out this time. They're like, you know what? We're going to trust the Lord to help my son. And my mom in, in early June was venting to her friend in Saskatoon who supports the Saskatoon Teen Challenge program. And she was venting to her and saying, look, my son is an addict for almost six years now and he just can't seem to break free. Is there a, what, what do you know? What can help him? And she says, well, there's this program called Teen Challenge. And uh, they do this and help addicts and people who've lost their families and stuff like that. And uh, so she told me about it and I agreed that, you know, I'd check it out. I'd check it out. Just because I had nothing left. My life is going nowhere. It was uh, just... All I cared about whenever I woke up was like, okay, am I going to get high today? Am I going to go see a woman today? You know, stuff that was just self-serving completely. Didn't care about my family anymore. So I decided that, well, you know what, mine as well, what do I got to lose? So I looked into the program and I was accepted and everything fell into place within a week. Like I hadn't had a medical checkup in 15 years. And all of a sudden I got into everything that would have taken two, three weeks to, to book. I got in right away. Every single thing lined up, including my flight to London, in six days. I was like, "All right, something's up here. This is uh, that just doesn't happen." You call, you call, and like, well, actually, we just had an opening just now. Someone actually, someone just canceled. You can come in. I'm like, like four or five times in a row. Come on, that was unreal. And so on June 25th, I came to Teen Challenge London, and uh, since then, man, uh, life's been transformed. On my second day of the program, a couple of the senior students who are now moved on from the program uh, told me, come, come pray with us. And on that second day, I, I surrendered my life back to God 100%. I broke down and cried like a, just a little kid. I felt like weak being a guy in front of all these men. But no, that was the strongest thing I ever did was let it out. You know, don't be afraid to look weak. You know, let the Lord back in. And he's done miraculous things. My family relationship is as strong as it's ever been. I got baptized for the first time on August 21st, 2019, first time ever. I've completed my high school diploma in the program as well. And uh, now I'm a... um, And now I'm an assistant captain in one of the big dorms, and I've been thrown into a leadership position where I get to help 12 other guys and, and to lead them and show them, you know, just tell them, look, God, you, I know you're in a bad place, but God can do wonderful things in your life. And just be patient. It's coming out of an instant gratification lifestyle for seven years. It doesn't change overnight. You're going to fight. And I, I wrestle with God and lose every time. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I'm glad he's changing my life. And I get to, six months ago, I never imagined I would stand in front of a church and tell him my story, how I was this guy, and uh, how you know the Lord saved me. He pulled me out, and I didn't deserve it. But here I am, telling you that God works miracles in people's lives. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jerome, for sharing with us. It's not easy standing up here in front of a group of people that you don't know, but sharing that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff that you've done. I think the messages you're going to hear are hope, restoration, freedom. But I think the, the hardest thing that a lot of us go through is, you know, God is such a good God. God is such a wonderful God. God forgives us. We have his grace. Hardest thing to do is forgive ourselves sometimes, right? So I'm going to get into the program a little bit. There are different aspects. 
these are certified addictions counselors that we have on board with us. So each and every single student will get a minimum of one hour a week of one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling. These counselors are, have the ability to actually delve into what caused your addiction, what were the triggers that started it, and really get into the root, root cause of addiction and give you ideas how to change that to make sure that that is not going to reoccur again. Work therapy. Each day is split into two, uh, two segments. Um, I know it's changed a little bit in the program now. It's different. But basically, half the working day or half the day is spent in a work therapy uh, session where you may be assigned to landscaping, may be assigned to laundry. I know when I was in the program, I spent the first six months in the laundry. And I have washed so many pairs of underwear and socks that... <laughs> <laughs> because the guys bring all their laundry down to you and you've got 50 guys. so, But laundry, uh, kitchen, that type of thing. Keeping those hands working, not idle, not idle time. And then we have the core structure of Teen Challenge, the PACE program. Personal, academic, Christian education. This is where the difference is between the secular rehabs and our rehab in the sense that we have the faith that's the pillar, the foundation of our program. And so many times you will have, people will come into our program, they've never opened a Bible before. They've never had an opportunity to hear the word before. That's the fundamental pillar. They get three and a half hours of Christian education every single day. And as I said, Tracy from the Women's Center, I mean, you, you look at the changes on the individual faces. I mean, you know, they came in. I mean, if you, you saw Jerome's uh, intake photograph, I mean, he didn't look like he, he was in a good place. But look at the place he's in now. And just as, as, uh, as you look at these women's faces, they're all in a good place now. And, um, uh, yeah, I was talking about restored families. Jerome mentioned that. My family was restored to me. Um, you'll see pictures of my graduation. There, that's Chris. Now, Chris just turned 20, and this is what drugs and alcohol did to him in the last two years, right? But no, Chris is going to come up. This is his first time in front of a congregation speaking his testimony. He's going to rock it, right? All right, Chris. Uh, good morning. Um, don't be deceived by that photo. I'm I'm uh, I'm forty something. I have a lot, I have a lot of gray hair, and but my dad went gray when he was in his twenties. So, my name is Chris. I am currently separated, and I am the father of two boys. I was born in a squeezing township in southern Ontario, just outside of Toronto, and I grew up at a Christian home with a mom and dad and three siblings who loved, nurtured, and supported me. Uh, in everything I did, and I had a good childhood. In school, I was, uh, was a bit of a class clown. I found myself out in the hallway a little bit, actually quite a lot. And unfortunately, I, I was bullied when I was a kid. That wasn't easy. I think that had ramifications. I haven't really um, addressed that, actually, up to this point, all truth be told. And I uh, suffered emotional and physical abuse uh, at the hands of one teacher, when I went to uh, the middle school and high school, I was a combination of um, an intellectual nerd and a jock. So I, I was an egghead, and then I played sports and did reasonably, reasonably well at that. 
and I, I excelled by the time I graduated. And I, I went on to university, which were, were happy times. There were also tumultuous times. I met my wife there. That was a good thing, my future wife. But I also imbibed quite a bit in drink. The university culture, I don't know if you have kids or uh, family, university culture is such that uh, there's a lot of partying that goes on, uh, a lot of drinking. Dorm life, uh, I was in Soggy Maitland Hall at Western. And uh, finally, uh, in my late 40s, I find myself at Teen Challenge in a dorm again. So it's kind of, a, kind of an interesting change. I didn't realize then, you know, that, that maybe I had a problem shaping up because, um, you know, I would drink excessively. I would drink uh, oftentimes till I blacked out. In fact, I think on one occasion, the university police took me to a detox center in downtown London. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. But, you know, I took it in stride because most of my peer group was doing the very same thing. So there's that peer relationship that you have that sort of sets the pace and it's not always a a good one some moments in my journey that that changed my life were uh, uh, particularly 1995 I lost my dad to cancer this hit me uh, really hard and it it took me a long time to recover my dad was uh, was the rock of the family Uh, he was a very faithful person just like you but he was also a blue-collar man so he worked and he was tired on the weekends and so he uh, he would sleep on Sundays and the minister at the time actually said to him, uh, says, uh, that's the sin of sloth, sleeping in and, and not going to church. But the value system that I got from my parents was such that, you know, I did have values. I did have an outlook. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior in, uh, when I was 11 years old. The, uh, the Gideon Bibles that used to get in public school, which you'll never see today, I don't think, uh, in the back, it had a, a, a short prayer that you did, and uh, you signed your name and you dated it, and, and that's what I did. So, And I remember, even at 11 years old, it was sort of a special, I had a really different, very special feeling about it. But my future would go apart from God, go on a different track, not on the straight and narrow. And probably those university days were, were a, a, an indication that you know something was amok. But losing my dad was hard. But the biggest life-changing event that I had was uh, in uh, July 5th, 1996. I was in a serious motor vehicle accident uh, when our car T-boned a gravel truck. I had life-threatening injuries. And talk about a God moment, and looking back on it now, it's very profound. But on my way between two hospitals, they sent me to Stevenson Memorial, which was a hospital in Alliston. And they stabilized me. I remember them cutting off my clothes, and I remember getting an IV in both arms and one in my foot. And uh, I remember the doctor in the the trauma center uh, saying, uh, "Dr. Campbell, we, uh, I think I have something for you." And that was that was me. And in the ride over to York County, where uh, the surgeon, Dr. Campbell, was, I had a moment where. I recall my dad, who was now in heaven, uh, pleading with the Almighty to spare my life. And I remember, and this is in my mind, and I know uh, in the outside world I'd be considered kind of flaky for reciting it, but my dad was, uh, was saying, you know, it's not his time. And 
So I went through surgery. I had a severed bowel and a torn mesenteric artery. So I was hemorrhaging. I was in shock in the ambulance. Uh, I, I remained conscious, but it was a pretty, pretty uh, serious state of affairs. And when the doctor came out of the operator room, he told my sister, you know, I, we've done, done all we can. Um, you know, the, we just need time. And so, uh, needless to say, I'm here. I'm standing in front of you. But the accident had long-term implications, not just physically, but from a mental standpoint. Uh, it was a trauma, and I had to deal with the trauma in the, uh, the ensuing years. I also had to deal with depression, which I, I didn't have any history of. I was a happy-go-lucky guy, uh, but my recovery time, I was in a very, very dark place. As I say, it's not something I had experienced, but it was sort of part and parcel of, of the injuries I received. My uh, girlfriend at the time, Beth, uh, wanted to, to get married, and uh, I ended up moving to London, and I went back to school. And in the time, uh, I again returned to drinking. Uh, I was again on a university campus, and that probably, they, they don't go together very well with me. And... I struggled through that. I wasn't on a, a good dose, a therapeutic dose of uh, the antidepressant, and I had really bad anxiety. And uh, this, this manifested itself later on in the couple of years following. We got married in 1998. That was a very happy time. But I was still dealing with this, dealing with the, uh, the trauma. And uh, I was later diagnosed with PTSD, and I still suffer from that today. And a lot of the symptoms, there's uh, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, hypervigilance. Uh, there could be a d depression component associated with it that, that I did have. And I should point out, actually, I'm backtracking. And on July 5th, 1997, exactly a year to the date, I had another accident. And so what had happened is it really just aggravated all the injuries, particularly the, the psychological component of it. And um, after marriage, uh, I, uh, we had uh, two boys, one born in 2004 and one born in 2006. In 2005, I got a dream job with a blue chip company in London. Uh, however, every day I would battle demons and, and struggle to keep my job. I often came home mentally and emotionally exhausted. Uh, in a later capacity, I was put in a high-stress job, and uh, it was a customer complaint. So you had people on the phone uh, yelling at you, berating you, saying your product is, you know, using assorted expletives. So it wasn't, wasn't very happy all the time. And so when I'd come home, I would, I would increasingly uh, turn to, to drinking beer to decompress when I got home. And uh, slowly, however, this, this got to be more and more. It wasn't just on weekends. I used to be a social drinker, but it became every day. And it wasn't just one or two. It was, you know, three or four. And uh, the biggest thing um, with me when, when I drank was that I became demotivated. And this was a real no-no because I was dealing with depression. And, and alcohol is a depressant, so it's, it's not a good thing to imbibe. So... You know, it would just put me in an even darker place, and I became demotivated and lost sight of my responsibilities around the house. 
And uh, so this went on, and but in 2015, things came crashing down because I, I lost my dream job. And I spiraled down, you know, when uh, they called me into the office, you know, and I went home, and basically for the, the ensuing weeks, you know, I just would, would go to the bar, and, you know, I had a wife and two kids at home. And, um, you know, she was supportive of me, and I managed to get another job. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out, and I was on my third job in one year. And, again, I got put on a performance track. Uh, I wasn't drinking on the job, but, you know, I was, I was really working hard and playing hard. And, sadly, in uh, 2016, I lost my wife, um, my uh, house, and full-time custody of my kids, due to a separation. And I thought, uh, here I'd hit, hit rock bottom. I, I ended up moving back to my mom's house and started going to AA meetings. And I tried to turn things around. And the question that keeps coming up and what I've written here is what was missing? In 2017, I thought I could bounce back from my marriage loss and I decided to go back to school for a second master. So I did do something with my time, folks. I did get a a master's degree, and so I decided to work on another one because it was just, um, I thought it was something that I could handle. I couldn't handle punching a clock. But the demon of drink came calling regularly, and I found myself taking, uh, spending time in in a couple of local watering holes in London. And I wasn't happy. Uh, Things were dismal, and uh, the outlook was, was grim. The the ultimate crisis point was reached in October 2019, last year. I was in a car accident when, as a result, largely of my uh, sleep apnea and diabetes, I fainted at the wheel, and I went through the stop sign, I crossed the curb, and ended up on somebody's front lawn. And in this case, uh, God interceded and uh, saved me and, and others from injury, and it was a wake-up call for me. I had lived a life of drinking and bars all the time and now had uh, serious health problems, and uh, I was finding no meaning in life. Uh, I wasn't looking after myself physically, mentally, or spiritually. In February or March of this year, in the cold of winter, I can't remember exactly what the calendar date was. I should have written it down, but uh, I was on my apartment balcony. I was having a smoke and uh, examining my life, and I finally said, I surrender. As people of, uh, well, both AA and Celebrate Recovery say, my life had become unmanageable. And I realized that I needed help, uh, but I seemed to stay in the same negative cycle. And my sister, God bless her, uh, came to my aid, and she started talking about Teen Challenge. And folks, I'll be frank with you, I didn't want to go to Teen Challenge. Uh, Despite my surrender, uh, I was distant from God. But the surrender was an opening to God. And um, the Bible uh, in Ephesians talks about uh, ridding ourselves of the old self and putting on the new self. And Romans 12.2 talks about renewing of the mind. And that's really the the teen challenge factor. When I got to teen challenge in in August, I was a broken man, uh, mentally, physically, spiritually. Uh, The first week or two were harsh in every way. It was hard getting up at 6.15. But then it it started in my second week, and the word I'll use is transformation. I had this uh, blanket of peace that came upon me which transcends all understanding. And I'm thinking of um, 
The Bible verse uh, that says uh, in Philippians, I believe, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's, that's where I was. Um, that's what happened. And it was very early on. I had surrendered, you know, in the, in the dead of winter, but, you know, it took a while. And, and finally, God says, you know, it's time, my son, you know. And as a result of the program and God's work, I'm sober now uh, for four months, nearly. From a mental perspective, I'm now as sharp as I used to be. My medications are working properly. Uh, I delve deeply into the scripture endlessly. I just love the word and uh, the pace classes. We dissect the Bible. We look at different books. And, and it's like going to school, and I've got a lot under my belt. So, again, I'm a nerd, so I, I eat this stuff up. So, and the word just speaks to me. It, it says things. I, I just, um, the message and the hope. And every contingency in your life, I believe, is to be found in the Bible because it, it, it is the source of so much wisdom. I walk every day. Uh, I can breathe properly since I quit smoking. I sleep soundly. Uh, I have good nutrition, you know, because I don't eat junk. I don't order pizzas at 2 in the morning, you know. The Holy Spirit's presence is palpable. And counseling is, is helping me work through my, my problems, you know, find solutions. And work therapy gives me a purpose, and I get satisfaction in what I do. I'm, uh, I'm the janitorial guy, so I scrub toilets, and, uh, and it's humbling. But uh, I get great reward from it, you know, doing it just and working with the people that I do. It's, it's great. I get to meet people like Larry uh, over at National and um, the staff. And um, I, I couldn't be happier. I have, a, I have a sense of joy that I haven't had in, in years. In addition, I, I love the, the sermons at my home churches because I hear God's message, and, and that is filled with hope. Uh, the Dorn Prayer is awesome. Uh, it's a, like a small group with the guys, and we, uh, we get to share with each other, and we get to build each other up. And the fellowship, just being around 50 men, which can be challenging, I can assure you. Everybody has their hurts and hang-ups. But this is, in my mind, a testing ground because um, what I've come to believe and I've, I think I've known all my life is that my destiny, my purpose is to, to serve others. You know, whether it be uh, believers, non-believers, my community or my country. Um, I haven't figured that out yet, but that's where I believe, that's where I'm going. And I see the guys around me overcoming huge obstacles every day. Most importantly, I'm building a relationship with Christ that I never had before. So in essence, uh, what God has done is he has filled the hole in the soul to make me whole. W-H-O-L-E. <laughs> so how so, you may ask. And uh, I would go now to Psalm 40, which says, uh, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my foot on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a hymn of praise to our God. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, upon graduation, I'd like to engage in short-term Christian missions, complete my second master's degree, work for a Christian organization, possibly an NGO, which is non-governmental organization, or I would like to work in government. But most importantly, I want to repair my marriage and deepen the relationship with my wonderful sons. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. I have a, a, a short message on hope, and I also wanted to share a letter that my daughter wrote me, and I didn't realize it uh, until I was into the program for about two or three weeks. I hadn't opened it up, but um, it's in here. I still have this journal that she wrote on the inside. It's a letter of love, and it's a letter from a daughter to her father. So let me start with a message on hope. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quick on that. I don't know if I did this when I was here last time. I can't remember. I don't think so. There was a, um, uh, a church that had asked for a small message, and I kind of put this together. So it says, what does it mean to have hope? I believe that hope is a feeling of trust, and it's a sense of security and a reason to keep going on. I believe it's a passionate desire of our heart, and it's a feeling of expectation and longing for a certain thing to happen. But do we use that word hope so often in our everyday language that we've really lost the true meaning of it? I hope the kids clean up. Oh, and I hope it doesn't snow, and I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year. But kids, <laughs> kids will be kids. I know, Calgary. The kids will be kids, and it always snows somewhere in Canada. And maybe this is the year. But as a Christian... What does it mean to have hope? Psalm 71, verses 5 and 14 say, For you have been my hope, my sovereign Lord, and you have been my confidence since my youth. And as for me, I will always have hope, and I will praise you more and more. The psalm goes on to say that God will never grow tired or weary of us, and he will give us strength and power and the knowledge that we can accomplish more with him than we can without him. For he is our hope. And he is the only one who can answer our prayers and those desperate pleas of our heart. We cannot connect the word hope without connecting it to our Father. For whilst we have breath, we have Jesus. A Christian hope is grounded in the word of God, and we know that God cannot lie. It is a hope that is like faith, a faith that cannot be moved by circumstances or by what our eyes see, because an unseen God is always seen in his faithfulness to us. So if you're a believer, please rest assured that God's love is unfailing and that he will deliver us in the days of our calamity. For he has rescued the born-again believers from certain judgment, and he has promised us an eternal home with him. And instead of using ink, God signed our redemption with his most precious son's own blood. That was the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ, and that blood seals you and I permanently. And when our hope is in the Lord and not in ourselves, be assured that that is one rock-solid hope. So here I was almost four years ago, an angry, bitter, hateful man. I had no hope. I had lost everything. I was an alcoholic who, over the years, had kept drinking and drinking, and everything that was precious was gone. I lost my wife, my relationship with my children, my home, my business. 
But most costly of all, I did have a walk with Jesus Christ. I was a member of a Pentecostal church for 18 years, and I turned my face away. And I continued to walk down that road for many, many years until finally one day, here I was, 66 years old, a drunk, an old man, broken, homeless, and all alone. But you know something? It was by the persistence. (laughs) It was by the persistence, the grace and the love of my daughter and my children, who never gave up on me, just as God never gives up on us, that finally convinced me to enter Teen Challenge. And so I did in February of 2016. Oh, yes, I entered that program. I was angry. I was bitter. I thought, you know what? All my children wanted was to get rid of Dad. Let's put him in a place, a safe place. We don't have to worry about him anymore for the next year. And I was bitter. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I was very, very bitter for the first little while. But it was funny. One night I was in my dorm. As Chris said, here we are in a dorm again. And I was alone, and I was reading And the most amazing experience happened. I heard a voice speak to me. And it was a voice that you don't hear here. It's a voice that speaks to you in here. And that voice said to me, Larry, I have you here for a purpose and a reason that you do not yet understand. But I promise I will reveal that to you. All I ask of you is one thing. Put your trust in me. I knew that night that was God that spoke to me. So I decided to make a change. I changed my attitude. I changed my outlook. And I embraced his word again. I picked up my Bible and I started reading. And little by little, I could see and feel the change. That hope came back. And I managed to get through that program. It was one year later. It was one month after I graduated. Actually, three weeks after I graduated that I was here speaking to you and I don't know I was leading a team but I don't think I had had read any of you this so I'm so grateful to to you for helping us sponsoring us and being there for us I know God opened my eyes and my heart again but um, I wanted to share this one little and I'm going to have a very special request of the congregation after I read this to you This is the letter that my daughter wrote to me. I opened this up and it says, Dear Papa, I cannot even begin to explain how proud I am of you and this journey of transformation and hope that you're about to embark on. I am so proud that you've decided to pursue a journey of life and truth that will bring you to a place of wholeness once again. You are beginning the best part of your life, not with ease, but with courage and strength. You are starting the beginning of a new chapter. You have come so far already in the last few weeks. And yes, I am so excited to see life-changing transformation yet to come. Never forget that you are and always have been a man of strength. And don't ever lose sight of that one simple truth. Oh, the coming weeks may not be so easy, but God will give you enough grace each day to carry you through to the next. Take one day at a time and know that your entire family at home is behind you and rooting for you. And we love you every step of the way. And always remember, with God in your life, nothing is impossible. I know that you can and will do this, and I promise you the best days are still ahead of you, and you will have the life that you wanted. 
Take this journal to write down your thoughts, to process your feelings, and to vocalize your dreams. Use this journal to begin to dream of your life and to dream of the things that you want to do again. And please, to become the man that you once were. You're stepping into a precious moment of time, one year of your life that you will never get back. Please take this time to rediscover yourself. Begin to love yourself again and heal yourself. You deserve to be whole and healthy, and please know that you are worthy of love. I love you, Papa, more than you will ever know. You will always have me, no matter what. I'm so excited to have you back in my life once again, because I've missed you for such a long time. You're a man of greatness and meant for great things, and there is so much treasure inside of you just waiting to be released. And you are stronger than you think you are, and I know that you can do this. This request I have of you today is my daughter wrote this to me when I was in a very dark place. My daughter is in a dark place now. My daughter is suffering from addiction with alcohol and marijuana and drug abuse. So I ask a prayer request of the congregation here. Pray for my daughter, Faith Esther, the one who loved her papa. And thank you. That's our presentation today. Thank you for having us.